0: immersive audio podcast in conversation with industry thought leaders practitioners artists academics and entrepreneurs discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry from art science and business to practical insights and project case studies we aim to inform educate explore and unite the community
1: Helen Bellringer, welcome to the immersive audio podcast. Hi. How are you, my friend?
0: I'm very good. Thank you so much, Oliver, for having me. This has been in the pipeline for a while. So it's really nice to finally get together and and be able to record. Thanks.
1: Absolute pleasure. (laughs) It has been in the pipeline for a very long time. So I'm very pleased it's actually happening now.
0: Yeah, me too. Me too.
1: Can you please introduce yourself and tell us what you do to our audience?
0: Cool. So I'm Helen Bellringer. I am a creative director, sort of specialising in um, music and technology and different types of interactive and immersive technologies. Um, I used to work for a company called Melody VR, which some people might have heard of, that's sort of more in the commercial space. Um, and I'm now leading creative at an interactive agency called Solar Flare Studio, where we do all kinds of crazy, wild and wonderful things with interactive data and data visualizations and some really fun stuff. So basically, I'm having a blast with a bunch of technology coming to your phone screen, to your your brain screen soon. <laughs>
1: Sounds exciting. And we're definitely going to come back to those topics and talk about some of the projects you've been in Waltworth in more detail. But to start with, can you tell us about your background in music and theatre? Because I believe this is how it started for you, this is how you got into industry.
0: Yeah, so I studied creative music technology at the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama. Um, which is one of eight conservatoires in the UK and at the time when I was sort of applying for university degrees um I you know I you know I I knew I wanted to do music I knew I wanted to do music tech it's something that I was kind of you know I was lucky that I went to a college that had a music tech A level course um And I've always been like a super sort of like musical person. You know, I actually actually wrote a a Christmas carol when I was 11 and my school performed it at a Christmas concert. I'm like a proper orchestra dork. I've got a flute, i used to play the flute. I, uh, I went on an orchestra camp when I was 11 and we learned to play Harry Potter. I've basically just been like <laughs> huge, huge music nerd like my whole life. Um, always writing, always creating. So when I went to college, I started. You know, I did this. Um, I chose Woking College because they had um, a music technology A level course, um, and that led me to the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama to go and study their creative music technology course. It's a it's a bit of a mouthful my degree, but um, yeah, and you know while I was while I was there, I mean it's the course isn't to my to my knowledge it isn't what it used to be so now I think they kind of bundle it into this kind of contemporary music course which combines the traditional composition side of things so when I was there we didn't actually we we learned about like jazz theory and music theory and music history because you do when you're at a music college um but we also did things like wiring up arduinos using pure data to like create I know just like kind of cool stuff um we did modules in music for film music and sound sound design you know just kind of got this like really like really deep dive education into how how technology and music can interact to create something spectacular so um you know I, I learned how to use pro tools and I engineered my own EP And I also learned how to use Max MSP and how to create um, a a gestural controller using my iPhone. So, I mean, yeah, I, I I cannot sing the praises of that course enough and those course tutors that kind of, like, guided me through. I did some, like, really weird stuff, like you know, wiring up, um, had like Wii remotes and I wire up Wii remotes, you know, with Bluetooth um, to my computer and then use them and swing them around to like change like the ring modulation frequency on like an audio track as part of a performance. Just, you know, I basically spent like four years of a degree with like complete creative freedom just to kind of use all the technology that had been taught how to use to make music in new avant-garde ways so if you want to listen to any of my portfolio pieces from uh, from my four years, you know, buckle up for a bit of a wild ride as I as I explored uh, that kind of like dynamic intersection between uh, gestural technology and traditional music composition. Um, but of course, you know, you go and you do a degree like that, which is you know really highbrow. You know, I came out of it thinking, yeah, I'm like an, I'm like an artist. I'm like really highbrow. I, I listen to Pierre Schaeffer, and I know what an oscillator is. And you come out of that with like zero life skills uh, and like no real idea of what you're going to do in terms of making money. So you know, I graduated um, and was like, "Well, okay, I'll go get a job in a pub because you know I know how to pull pints." And I was like, "I don't really know how. I don't know what kind of career path to choose having done this degree." So you know, spent some time figuring that out and kind of uh kind of landed on the idea of okay well maybe like sound design because sound design was something that I was so um so enamored with it at music college I think there's something that I chose as sort of a, as a career path at first because I felt like it's just a really it's so expressive you I know mean, when it, when you're crafting a soundtrack to a picture you are telling like you are telling the story of everything that you're seeing on screen and the two things they have to be so symbiotic, you know, what you see on screen, if you have a bad sound underneath it, it's just going to be completely immemorable. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to forget it. But if you can, if you can underline this, this beautiful visual narrative with an equally dynamic sonic narrative, you're just creating magic. I mean, like you're just creating like any, like incredible storytelling. So I sort of, You know, I I loved that. I absolutely loved that part of my degree, even though it wasn't a a big part of my degree. It's just something that I sort of found myself warming to. And you know, I kind of did sound design pieces in quite a lot of my portfolio submissions for my coursework. Um, So, you know, upon graduating, I was like, "Well, this is something that I love to do." And you know, I can always be writing music on the side, and this is really great. So, I kind of like tried to find a pathway into sound engineering, and found and basically ended up stalking all of the like sound engineering companies I could find in London following them all on Twitter this is I mean this is like back in like 2011 or 2012 and um, following them all on Twitter and um, waiting for them to put up like runner positions and I ended up starting out as a runner at Grand Central Sound Studios I'm not sure if you are familiar with them they're sort of um one of the bigger like advertising focused post-production audio suites in London Um, and I was there for about like two and a half years you know you start those kind of places you start as a runner like you get people's teas you take out their like dirty plates you uh, take out the bins at the end of the day you clean out the studios sometimes you get to run cables sometimes you get to wire cables Um, and then I did some time in in bookings because it was just sort of like a pathway for me from being a runner And then I ended up in the transfer bay and the transfer bay is where you sort of handle all of the pre and post session data. So all of the sound engineers would be in the studios creating these like masterpieces, you know, like mixing Nike adverts and just like really fucking can I swear can I swear on this podcast
1: absolutely you can do whatever you want
0: really fucking cool shit <laughs> you know i I got to, got to say like some of my fondest memories of working at that place would be uh, being called into the, in, into the studio because you know we needed to like just you know give some like background vox for like football chants or something or we needed to kind of like give a little bit of like a you know like a general kind of like crowd VO just being involved in that process or doing a bit of like foley walking and stuff for some of the sound engineers you know as a as a junior member of that team it was just you know it's fun to kind of be invited into that process so I'm, I'm grateful for some of the really talented and amazingly you know you know um, empathetic engineers that they have working there um, but yeah so in the transfer bay you're kind of handling like all the pre and post session data so you load up the sessions and then you know you're kind of handling the naming conventions and the quality checking all of the audio coming in and out blah 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 and uh, while I was there so one of the things that they also do at Grand Central is um, they do music searches So, um, and it's part of the Transfer Bay's job. So, and as the most junior person in the Bay, it sort of ended up being my job to, you know, if they had a a client and they were looking for a music track, it was just a service that, you know, um, Grand Central offered. And they said, oh, Helen, like, you've got a background in music. So why don't you, like, lead on this? And, you know, I'd go through commercial tracks or music libraries and find the right piece of music for, um, for that advert. And... I found myself really loving it and felt like well, maybe this is something that I want to do because I guess it's you know again it's that it's that pairing of visuals and sound and in a completely different way. I just loved how you could have a video and cut like three or four different tracks to it and create three or four different moods you know so it's just something that I loved while I was there and loved doing and I kind of thought, well huh, maybe this is what I want to do instead and you know, if I'm if I'm perfectly honest, like, you know, the the process of becoming a sound engineer in Soho, you've got to be like really dedicated, like to go to go to rise through the ranks of those like big kind of like behemothic uh, institutions, those big studios. You know, I was kind of looking above me and seeing like three, four blokes who had been there for years, who are going to be, you know, you're kind of waiting for dead man's shoes in those places. It's like, like the the head of the transfer bay is waiting to become the next junior engineer. Uh, but like, unlucky for them, like two years ago, they just promoted a new junior engineer because some other senior engineer moved off. Do you know what I mean? It's like those places have to build a new studio or someone has to leave for there to be this kind of like shuffle up effect. So I was just finding myself feeling frustrated and, and thinking like, well, I don't think I really want to do this. Do I really want to like be in a dark room my whole life? Like making sounds for adverts It's like kind of what I want to do. But I really love doing this music side of things. Okay, I'll see what's out there in this music space because this is like way fun anyway. So I saw an advert for a job going at Massive Music as a creative producer. And I went for it and like they hired me, which was brilliant. <laughs> Um, and I had honestly some of like the best years of my professional life at Massive Music. They are an incredible company to work for, um, incredible leadership, incredible people, incredible culture, incredible ethos. Like I cannot sing their praises highly enough. Like, you know, just a really, really good vibe, really nice team culture, like, yeah, really and, and great work as well. I think it was interesting now is to see um, you know, the kind of like shift. Um, you know because when I was at Massive I was very much working on bespoke compositions you know I was commissioning different um, composers to create bespoke compositions for adverts or I was sourcing different tracks to license for adverts and advertising was kind of the core focus of my work I think because I you know I had a kind of a list of advertising clients that I was able to bring over from Grand Central so I had this kind of really nice pool of people that I got on with that um, you know I continued to work with and I was at Massive but I, what I think is interesting now is to kind of see that that sort of paradigm of working isn't necessarily what the business are doing now like you know I can see them really focusing on sonic branding and I think that it's such a smart move um, and I think that you know obviously they are sort of like some of the early pioneers of sonic branding um, you know they're doing some incredible things um, but yeah like Massive Music was an absolute blast and actually that's what we met isn't it
1: yes Yeah yeah exactly
0: And Massive I mean like Where to start they're just a great Company to work for they've got Really nice um, a really good Company culture a really Good vibe really great people Like Hans Brower is One of my heroes you know I love that, uh, you know, they had this huge party in Cannes every year. And no matter what level you are at, the, at, the, at that agency, you got flown out. I mean, I didn't think I was important. I was like, I'm like new here and junior. And my first year, I'm out in Cannes. Like, psh, in my like kind of like mid-20s, I'm like, wow, this is the lifestyle. <laughs> There's rosé everywhere. I'm having a blast. Like, they really take care of their staff. You know, they really take care of their people. Um and they have some incredibly talented people working for them. I mean, some of the most amazing creative minds and, you know, pioneers of that kind of music audio branding space, um, you know, are, are working for Massive. So, I mean, I I I, I big them up, like toot to them. They're great. Um, but yeah, so I was working there um, as a sort of producer, creative producer, working across advertising briefs. So whether I was commissioning composers to create um, bespoke soundtracks for adverts, or I was sourcing commercial tracks and kind of negotiating the licenses. And um, I was, yeah, kind of just really involved in the sound and music side of things. Um, and I kind of, I was, you know, I was sort of kind of content doing that for like a couple of years. Um, and then... And then I was kind of thinking like, well, it it was sort of like 2016, 17, when virtual reality started to kind of bubble up and a lot of brands and a lot of agencies we're working with were starting to kind of put out these different types of like VR content. And I was there thinking like, this is super cool. Like I've come from this like technical background um, in my degree where I, you know, I literally built a system that allowed you to use your hand. Okay, maybe you've got like an iPod strapped to your hand, but hey, using the accelerometer data from the iPod. And I thought I had this like moment in my head where like, it almost kind of exploded. And I was like, oh my God, what if I got like music and gestural interaction I I feel like this could this could coexist in a commercial space in virtual reality like finally I can make some money with my degree like finally there's you know there's my vocation and um and yeah so I I just started like throwing myself into all the kind of like VR like meetups um you know looking for different like virtual reality partners we could work with and um, met Peter Collis at Anition, who, again, is one of my heroes in the industry. Like, such a nice man. Um, and actually gave me some of my first sort of uh, virtual reality work from the um, music side of things.
1: What did you learn over the years being there about the importance and the power of sonic branding and the use of music to deliver a message or a story across different media?
0: Well... I mean that that's that's a big question, and I'll try and I will try and meet it with a uh, with a good answer. So what did I learn? Um, I mean, sonic branding is so important. I mean, I find it crazy that someone would spend a hundred thousand pounds on a visual rebrand and produce a visual logo, and then not have good sound. The way that your brain processes sound. So. If I go da 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 da, what do you think of
1: McDonald's? Yeah,
0: like McDonald's, right? <laughs> you know, it, like those little mnemonics, those those little like they're kind of like well, like brain chicken nuggets. You know, they're addictive. Like your brain, like they sick, they sink into your brain. Like if you hear the same little melody over and over and over and over and over again, like it just like sinks in there. You know, so for a brand to have like a, a really like solid presence in the vast landscape of, of brands. Like you have gotta have a strong sonic strategy. Like otherwise you're only telling half the story. Otherwise you're only reaching people with one of their senses, you know? And I think what sonic branding does is it stimulates your oral senses in sync with your visual senses. And hey, that's what our brains love. Our brains love like visuals that match audio. I mean, you know, like you, you, you must know this like better than anybody. Like your, like psychologically, your brain wants to match things. So, if, if, you know, for example, if you were to watch like a football match with some music, like you will find yourself thinking that the music, oh, like this, this, this is written for that football match because all of the kind of like cheers and everything, and it's like, well, no, like your brain is just linking the two things together because it wants to. Your brain wants it to make sense. So when you pair something visual with really with something really strong sonically you create something that your brain like just loves it's like crack for the brain it's like yeah this is satisfying like this makes sense this this is great so um i've always i've always believed like very firmly that you know good sound is a fundamental part of any visual project
1: and this goes so much deeper in many ways uh because it's not only about sonic logo although for for big brands and i'll argue for medium and smaller brands, it would be just as important because all of them have visual presence and, and some kind of branding and design. So why not have sonic attribute to that? But going back to other areas, you know, there's the music plays such a crucial role, you know, the genre, the the cultural references, the, the voice, the tone of voice, the, you know, the consistency, the, in the same way, the colors, the textures and the, you know, the sounds and how they delivered and we can break it down into like dozens if not hundreds of categories that you know all kind of make this accumulative effect that represent the brand sonically and on top of everything else so it's just that coherency and congruency and and like you said people spend stupendous amount of money in these sort of traditional areas to promote represent themselves uh, or product services they provide but often overlook If not as critical, but one of the most critical components, which sort of uh, satisfies uh, one of our core senses, hearing. And in many ways, I should say often than not, the effect that it can be achieved is not two plus two equals four. It's more like two plus two, maybe equals five and six, because it has a bigger punch and bigger impact when it's put together intelligently. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. I think people often um, overlook the fact that music can affect behaviour. So when I was at Massive, for example, one of the accounts that I worked on um, and actually ended up leading towards the end of my time there was the Selfridges account. So Massive Music used to curate... um, it used to be me and some and two other supervisors used to curate the in-store music for Selfridges. Now Selfridges is—I uh, mean, they're in, they're a huge brand in themselves. They've got their huge flagship London store, and they also have stores in Birmingham and two two different stores in Manchester. Now, everybody that shops in their store has a slightly different customer profile, but. You, for example, aren't necessarily, you know, you're not going to go straight to women's perfume. You're not going to go straight to the women's lingerie section. I mean, unless there's something that you're not telling me, <laughs> you're probably going to go to like men's streetwear or men's fashion. If you're in those spaces and you're listening to music that is tailored to your customer profile, you are more likely to spend longer in those areas. You are more likely to spend time shopping, relaxing. If you hear a jarring piece of music in any store, in any scenario, you're just going to leave that store. But if you have music in different zones that are tailored to your, you know, I mean, it's a little bit generalized, but it, it does work. And there has been so much science to prove that it does. You know, if you've got music that's tailored to your customer profile, you are more likely to spend longer in that in that particular space and to spend more money. And you can do some really cool things, like you. We used to change the tempo of the music. So if you want to increase, um, you want to increase sales. You generally have like slower music so it, that kind of encourages people to take their time and chill. If you've got loads of people in the store and you want to get them out there quickly, you want to get things moving. Play something a little bit faster. So you can actually kind of hack the human psyche with music, even at a very kind of like top level. And people really don't really kind of, I, th- I don't think a lot of people or brands know about that, you know. Um, like there is like the psychology of like music and the way it affects your brain is such an empower- is such a powerful thing if you can harness it. Um, and that's definitely, you know, at Massive, that's the kind of work I know that they're doing now. That's the kind of work we were doing. I mean, I was there like four years ago, a while ago. And, <laughs> um, you know, So and they really are one of the companies like pioneering you know, using that scientific approach to hack the human psyche with music. I just I I big them up all the time. They're great.
1: Yeah, I'll be the first person who will complain about music if it's inappropriate. Uh, For me, it's everything. If I go to like a nice restaurant with a nice atmosphere, um, I just I just wouldn't expect, I don't know, some kind of uh, trashy pop music blasting. I mean, they've got nothing against pop, but there's place for and time for everything. And and it just it's just impacts everything and your impacts your your mood and your perception about the food. And I don't know, I'm not saying that this would work for everyone, but you know, for some reason, jazz and classical music, just everything just so much better when it comes to gastronomical experience. I listen to those sort of genres in the kitchen all the time when I'm preparing a meal. And it just everything's elevated. Since we're talking about it, we're going to feature a very special guest, Professor Charles Spence, who's an absolute guru in multisensory psychology from the University of Oxford. And we'll be dissecting this very exact topic in more detail. And basically what I wanted to say that, and this kind of uh, is a perfect segue to my next question, that sonic branding is not about mnemonic anymore. It's not about jingle. It's about layers upon layers and um, methods and strategies how to connect everything in a congruent way and connect to your customer, consumer, a spectator, whatever the context. And um, I think we're just still scratching the surface to an extent. Obviously, there are like, I already mentioned, you know, people like Charles Spence doing research in that area and going really deep. But overall, as an industry, I think there's so much more to uncover and to utilize to our advantage. And with that in mind, I wanted to ask you, in your view, in terms of the most recent innovation in sonic branding, how is it evolving? And where is it going into the future?
0: So I think that that sonic branding evolves as the technology around us evolves. So I know we were talking earlier about this kind of exponential growth in the technology that we have available to us as consumers. So we now have more devices and things that ping at us that demand our attention like more than ever I mean even like five years ago you know we wouldn't have had we didn't have the kind of stuff that we have today um so there with all the with all these digital devices we have an abundance of things that actually don't make noises naturally like my smartphone, unless someone tells it to, does not make a ping. Like I could drop it on the floor and that's about as natural a sound that the phone is going to make. And I've dropped it on the floor many times. Um, so so with the, in this digital landscape, we have to design the sounds of the digital landscape. So, I mean, here's something crazy. We have a hybrid car. We've got a Golf GTE. It's a gorgeous car. Absolutely love it. If you put it in fully electric mode, it still makes a sound someone has designed the sound of an, an electric engine because, you know, otherwise they make those like weird whining noises and they're super quiet. And actually that can be quite dangerous. You know, as a cyclist myself, like you like those electric cars can creep up on you. I can't tell you the amount of times I've like swerved out of the way of an, of an Uber that hasn't seen me and I haven't heard them. You know, that's a, that's a dangerous combination. So... I think as technology evolves, there are more things that need sonic branding, that need a sonic presence. So as you say...
1: Yeah, automotive and Internet of Things is a massive areas where that's going to be so prominent.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we've built ourselves all of these tools that, as I said, like don't naturally make a sound. It's not like a stapler, click, click. I have a tool that makes a very nice kind of satisfying sound when I use it. You know, if you have like a digital, you know, with PDFs, you don't have digital staplers. But if you wanted to pin something, you know, it, it goes it goes down to like UI. It goes down to UI sounds, you know. With all of these digital interfaces that we're interacting with, we need that feedback as a human that says, click, click, I've done that. You know, I, I've done it because otherwise you, you go crazy. If you took a, f- a file from your desktop and you put it into your trash can on your desktop and it didn't make that kind of crunching sound, you'd be like, oh, my God, is it deleted? You need that feedback, otherwise your brain just again like goes back to that thing of like I see I see I've done something visual. I need the sonic feedback to tell me that it has happened. Otherwise, I'm like like you just end up in this like crazy loop. So that's I guess I guess that's my answer for you. Like I think as technology evolves, sonic branding has to naturally evolve, and all of those all of you know every everything that makes a sound can be you know can and should be thought about carefully. Can be carefully curated.
1: So after massive music, you've taken on a role as a creative lead at Melody VR. Can you talk about folks at Melody and what is their business model and what type of content they've been making?
0: Melody is a publicly listed company, so they anyone can buy shares in their holding company EVHR Holdings. Um, so they have a lot of investors buying shares in you know in their holding company, and that's you know that's sort of fundamentally. What is funding the business right now? So Melody is a publicly listed company. So uh, you can and that's that's public information, and you can buy and sell shares on the stock market right now. It's a little bit like the Spotify business model, um where actually the funding, the investment funding, you know, helps them start up. So that's sort of what is paying for the office space and everything. And um, they are, a content streaming music platform so they're um by the way there's a bit of building work going on next door so if you hear any banging it's funny because they're called melody vr and you can you can access a platform on you know on the oculus go you can get it on the oculus quest um, but it's sort of more of a 360 video streaming platform than it is like a virtual reality platform.
1: There are multiple tiers for the users. So there's like a freemium, premium, or you have to pay in order to access anything. Is there any kind of th- anything to check out for people for free?
0: When I was there, we um, we were developing uh, original content series and... So we developed an original content series called Opener. So opener is um is all about discovery. It's all about music discovery. It's all about discovering new artists, opening doors to uh opening doors to conversations with new artists that you might not have heard before. And to my knowledge, the opener series that we did with um emerging artists and we released in January earlier this year, that at 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 the time I was there in January was free to stream. So I believe that there is some free content on the platform, but um, they sort of follow like a bit of an iTunes model where it's sort of pay per product. So say, for example, I wanted to buy an album of Panic at the Disco and they've got a whole Panic at the Disco concert. It looks amazing. Um, I can go on the Melody VR platform. I can say, hey, I want to watch this whole thing in in virtual reality and I can pay for the album and I can watch it.
1: Mm-hmm. And is there like um, eat as much as you want for 10.99 per month, like sort of Netflix, Spotify type of model as well?
0: I'm not too sure at this moment in time. It's been a while since I've been on the platform. Um, it wasn't available um, when I was working there, um, but I know that it's something that everybody always asks about.
1: Once you get those big numbers going and everybody pays, I don't know 5.99 per month, you know that's a solid income. Spotify still haven't made profit. I mean, it's bonkers. That company's worth.
0: yeah, but they're, but they're but they're making money, and I think the thing is with Spotify is they have a huge catalog I mean melody vR like they have a really impressive catalog, like fair play to them, we know they've got thousands like got like hours and hours of music content and um, but if you compare that with the kind of like, you know, Spotify has days worth of music content. And I think the, you know, the difference is that MetaDBR, they you know, t- to get a whole album on their platform, they have to go to a show, set up the cameras, film it. There has to be a whole post-production process like that as a product itself costs quite a lot of money. You've got a whole crew of, you know, you've got a whole crew of, of people, you know, there's a whole team in post-production. I'm not saying that like an album on Spotify costs less to make in the first instance, but it already exists. Like Spotify don't have to go out and make it.
1: It's fundamentally different with, with- uh, music streaming, you essentially have the global community of musicians and record labels and publishers. I mean, anyone who is remotely involved, essentially doing it on their own accord um, and then contributing the into the catalogue. And then Spotify essentially provides the tech platform and then have a share and cut from it. Whereas here, they initially have to put all that hard work into it to get started, to to have that kind of amount of content to, to warrant a need for somebody to to download the app or even let alone pay for it uh, on a regular basis. So I guess that's a big, big barrier.
0: I know they're moving into live streaming. So when I was there um, in 2019, they did a whole big live stream of Wireless Festival and that was completely for free. So you could watch in their mobile app, you could watch in the Oculus Go app, and you could also watch on, um, I think it was like the Festival Republic's Facebook site or their YouTube. They streamed wireless, like the whole of wireless. So as a you know as a, someone at home, and they did it again this year. Not that I, I, I'd left by then, um, so at home I could sit there and watch Wireless Festival in three sixty for free, which I think is pretty incredible. Um, and I know that they're sort of you know they're doing more and more live streams. Like you know I, I still follow them on, on you know LinkedIn. I'm still like good friends with people that work there. So you know they're sort of moving into that live live streaming space, and I think it's really smart for them because you know with with COVID, you like no no one saw this coming but actually it has cha- you know the live music industry kind of doesn't really exist um, and if you want to have you know an intimate gig experience well melody vr can get you there they can put uh, they can put you in a room if you've got your headset on and make you make you feel like you're there melody vr can put you in a room with an artist and there there aren't any other you know music streaming platforms that can say that You know, it is a very different kind of product offering. You can watch a two D stream, really beautifully cut, you know, director's cut of a of a live performance. Um, But if you're in VR and you have an artist like coming up to the camera, giving you eye contact, it really does feel different. I guess the only issue then is, you know, you kind of need people to have VR headsets to get the best version of that the best version of that experience. But yeah, it's 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 really interesting. I mean. I you know I loved the kind of stuff that I was working on there I I loved coming up with ideas for creative content for music artists in this new medium I think with my background I had these kind of really big ambitious ideas of the things that I wanted to implement and Melody's just like you know it's it's a big big company so you know getting getting big ideas through when there are other people that have other big ideas for what the platform should be doing was just a bit challenging really and you know I sort of half the reason I left was because I just wanted to go do interactive stuff. I think I got to the point where I was, you know, that that it was looking more and more likely that the platform was only going to be doing 360 video streaming. You know, and this is and 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 I can't speak for what they're doing now because I haven't haven't worked there for months. Um but, you know, I got to the point where it was looking like they were only going to be doing three sixty video streaming and there was little to no interactive content coming up soon. I know they're experimenting with like volumetric capture and stuff, but you know, at the time of you know the time I was working there, it wasn't something that the platform was able to stream.
1: It's 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 very hard and it's very expensive, and we we must admit that this is super early days, uh, relatively speaking, in the grand scheme of things. And I would say companies like Melody VR, and what they're doing, what they're building uh, yesterday and today, is very much for tomorrow. It's very much for. For the future, uh, we know that XR market is growing. Um, it's perhaps not as fast as some would have predicted three years ago, but perhaps it's going faster than somebody would admit just twelve months ago. So, um, and I think that's then there will be a tipping point. There will be a critical mass. Uh, there will be enough people, not necessarily just those who I don't know gamers or those who work in the industry, but just um, normal consumers who have you know Quest kicking about as one of those kind of gaming console or or, or mobile device, just one of those sort of everyday life devices that they use quite frequently. And then at that point, that's where all these kind of models will start making sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at PlayStation VR, right? I think they sold like 4 million headsets or something. Like they had an incredible, I mean, actually, we might need to fact check that, that like to date I think Sony PSVR
1: yeah th- those figures roughly in that area yeah
0: they've sold an incredible amount of, of, of headsets so there is a captive audience for it and there are really high-end games being built for those platforms I think for a company like Melody VR I don't know I don't know if they're on PSVR at the moment I guess um, you know Sony have their own sort of music Sony as a company have Sony Records you know they, they have their own music arms so I'm not sure if that's um, Part of the reason why they're not available on there yet. I mean, they probably will be. Um, but yeah, you're right. You know, they are building something that really is for the future. I mean, I do believe that we will live in a world where, like you say, like everyone has a VR headset at home, where, you know, the same, the same, the same parent that might buy a Nintendo Switch for their kid today would buy a VR headset for their kid in 10 years' time. They'll be commonplace, they'll be, you know, they'll be widely used. Um, and there'll be higher quality, you know, there'll be better quality. And I've just seen uh, the recent release of the new um, Oculus Quest 2, which I think looks great. They've released it, you know, just in time, hopefully just in time for the, the big Christmas spend when everyone is when everyone is thinking.
1: Absolutely. It's very well-timed, yeah.
0: Yeah, very well-timed. You know, they've got a, a new headset out on the market. It's a lower price point. It's uh, more immersive it's got, you know, it's got better capabilities. It's got, you know, you, you can fit more data on it, have a better streaming experience.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. Um, I, I would I would be even more optimistic. You said like an average parent who would have bought a Nintendo today, maybe in 10 years, that would be replaced by something like um, Oculus Quest. I, I think that's going to happen even sooner it's because, you know, obviously I, I use VR headsets and Quest including pretty much on a regular basis. And, I'm I'm so impressed. I'm all the time. It's 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 already there. I mean, obviously, Facebook is making heavy subsidies to ensure that the technology is improving fast enough, but also is available at a lower price. The fact that, that we get in Quest Gen Two, which is much better in multiple areas compared to Gen One, but still hundred. 100- dollars cheaper that's that's incredible i'm i'm pretty sure it doesn't cost 300 bucks to make
0: yeah if they can if they can release uh facebook horizons in line with quest 2 to the market like that is a big balls move by by facebook oculus because facebook horizons is a social platform in virtual reality here we are in a world of you know a world living with a global pandemic where actually we might have more periods of time where we have to be stuck indoors we have to connect with people online in the digital space well hey here's a, a kind of affordable for you know generally most people, I don't. I mean, I still think technology, like a lot of technology, is quite expensive, and there is a, a massive raft of um, people that can't afford like a two hundred and fifty dollars headset. But we can talk about like the politics of the cost of technology another time. Um, but I, you know, I, I think that you know we live in this like post pandemic world, or we're not even post pandemic. We live in a pandemic age. Um, our generation are meeting online we're currently in two separate home studios recording this podcast on the internet because actually it would be more dangerous for us to meet indoors in the same studio environment you know at a a distance I'm not sure even how students are doing it so here you have an affordable headset and if they can time it with Facebook Horizons you then have you know, a social platform where you can go and meet your mates and actually kind of run around a bit, wave to each other, pass something to each other, you know, play paintball. Let's go Let's go do puzzles together. It suddenly becomes this amazing connective tool for humanity and something that could be a viable solution for all the things that we're missing in this lockdown world. I think also the fact that, you know, Oculus Now makes you sign, with, sign in with your Facebook account. That's got a lot of the developer community and a lot of the VR community a little bit annoyed because you can't, you know, I know a lot of people that choose actively to be off social media, they choose not to be connected on social media, because a lot of, you know, a lot of social platforms, they're using you as a commodity to sell you things, you are the product that is being sold to advertisers. That's why these platforms are free. So there's a lot of people that are kind of pissed that Oculus is making you sign in with Facebook, because you can no longer as a developer be completely anonymous, not anonymous, but you still have to sign up for an Oculus account, that you can no longer be separated from that platform. You, you don't have the choice. I mean, me personally, I'm sort of, I don't really look on Facebook that much anyway. So if they want to try and sell me stuff, I'm not exactly giving them much eyeball time. Um, but uh, yeah, it is. I mean, this is like a whole other rabbit hole we could go
1: down. How would you describe your creative foot process when it comes to delivering an immersive music experience uh, for VR or 360 or in any shape or form? Because I think immersive audio is really coming to music industry at the moment. And we're seeing a major streaming platform uh, start supporting Dolby Atmos, uh, Sony 360 format, and uh, probably various others will come on board perhaps it's just a matter of time before they might start supporting ambisonics or maybe even uh, it will become three, three degrees of freedom uh, interactive audio. We see things leaking from patents that Apple have filed recently mm-hmm. and uh, kind of um, uncovering some potentially interesting developments. So it's all kind of coming together and coming together rather fast. And as, as, a, as somebody who kind of on the cusp of these technologies, industries, in in the unique combination. I'd love to hear your view. Where do you think immersive music is heading?
0: Well, So I see immersive music as like the evolution of music experience. So as we were saying earlier um, in this conversation, music is a very emotional thing. You know, you can hear a track that makes, you know, you can hear a track that you've never heard before and it can make you feel something. It can make you feel like you want to cry. It can make you feel like you want to, like, get angry. It can make you feel like you want to dance. It can, be, it can make you feel like you want to run. So music makes you feel. It really kind of, like, it, it connects to us humans in a really sort of, like, visceral way. And I think when you enhance that experience with immersive technologies, you're really going into, like, mind-blowing territory here. You know, with Melody, we were able to put you in the room with an artist, if you are an artist mega fan and you feel like you are sat next to your favorite member from one direction or that they are looking at you in the eye, oh my God, they're singing to you. Oh my God, is that not like the the pinnacle of a music experience for you as that music fan? I mean, and that's just that's just like the three sixty video that I'm talking about. like the next level is, fully interactive music experiences where you as a participant have control over your environment using gestures, you know, reaching out your hand and feeling like something that you're touching is attached to a a part of the track. You know, so I'm like, I I can mix the track. I can pull the track around. I can be in and out of the music in this like really like tangible way. I mean, that's just mad. And I would love to make that happen. I want to make experiences that, really let people interact with music in a kind of intuitive, emotional way. Like you feel it, you're part of it, you're part of this audible narrative. And I think immersive technology can can, can enable that. Um, One of the things that I was working on at Melody VR is their original storytelling series. So obviously where they are a content streaming platform, I was developing repeatable formats that would give you a different view on an artist um, and different types of artists at different places in their life. So we created the Opener series, um, which is all about um, opening conversations with new artists, opening doors to music discovery. Um, And... um, and this series is, is like a storytelling piece. So when you're approaching storytelling in 360, what you really have to play on is the ability to place someone in a space and to create that kind of connection. So, you know, getting the artist to like look down the camera, getting the artist to speak to the audience at home directly. I mean, you know this, like when you put on a VR headset, you are in that room, like your head becomes the camera. Um and and you know, I think watching watching music performances and watching those kind of things in an immersive format, it is a it is a really deep experience. You know, it's it's different to just watching something on a screen. Like you could you could stick on like a live, you know, a live stream of a concert um it, on your TV at home and then just like sit on your mobile phone scrolling on ASOS whilst listening. You know, like that's sort of like two D music experiences can be passive. But when you're inside it, you're invited to look around, to interact, to explore, and suddenly you become an active participant in that scenario. And it's that participation, I think, that really builds that connection between artists and fan. And it's it's giving you as a fan this feeling that you are doing something exclusively with that with that artist. And you know that's that's something that's really um, you know, like we we made a we made an opener, the first opener with Lewis Capaldi, who by the way is amazing to work with, like as funny as funny in real life as he is on all of his social media, really nice guy, really down to earth, and um, and yeah, we had a great response. Like people were loving it; they were loving it. You know, because he's you know he's just there, like being himself, but you feel like you're kind of close with him. You're like on this journey with him. You know, you can see, you know, if you've got the VR headset on, like you're by opposite him in a, in a room as he's singing to you it's really emotional you know so yeah I think my ambition you know has always been to create emotional experiences by connecting music and technology um and particularly with virtual reality and you know other amounts of technologies there's just there's just that that space I think as humans that you know you can kind of reach when you when you combine them
1: so Helen, your current role is a creative director at Solar Flare Studio. What type of content do you guys make?
0: So, Solar Flare Studio, we are... So I actually like to describe us as like an immersive hit squad or, <laughs> or like a futuristic, like as an immersive super group or a futuristic hit squad. So I actually, I joined the team in March this year. I actually joined in lockdown, which um, was interesting because here I was a creative director of a technology company having to use technological platforms just to communicate and do my job. So I, yeah, I think, um, there's a, there's a sort of like a nice little like story for myself there that I think is quite satisfying. Um, but yeah, so Signify Studio was sort of, sort of built out of the embers of Initian. I know you're familiar, you worked with Initian before. Initian was, um, I guess like one of the original immersive technology companies that, you know, that grew up in London, um, I think also that I guess the were kind of unique because they never came from like a, a production company or they never they never did anything else before they kind of added on this immersive technology it sort of it, it was the thing that they did. It was, you know, they did VR, they did holograms, they did projection mapping, they didn't do retouching, they didn't do film production, there wasn't sort of another arm of what they were doing, like the immersive side of things and the interactive side of things you know, was what they did for, like, 12 years, I think. So, you know, and obviously, um Inition, you know, things things didn't work out towards the end, as can happen with any kind of business, and especially it's, like, immersive technology businesses. Um, so four of the guys that were working there, including, I don't know if you know John, who uh, previously was working at Blipper. Another one of these, like, tech unicorns that, again, went into administration. Oh, there seems to be a running theme here. Maybe I've made the wrong decision. No, it's fine. I love the guys and I love my job. Um, <laughs> that, so they, you know, so when, towards the end of Monition, um the four of them made a decision that they were going to start, set up their own company, break away from Monition, start something new, and they set up Solar Flare Studio. And... We are a technology agnostic studio, so we're not tethered to VR. We're not tethered to AR. Not to say we're not specialists, because actually there isn't a type of technology that our Stuart cupid the cto has not delivered like he's i mean it's crazy like i was speaking to him earlier about like a potential project we've been talking about and he's like yeah maybe we can like projection map but maybe we can get like a volumetric streaming pod and i'm just there like this is amazing you know like he really is an industry leader in using this intimate interactive immersive technology so we label ourselves as technology agnostic which actually means that we can approach briefs from every single kind of angle so whatever your objectives are as a brand or you know an agency we can you know we we work quite consultatively and collaboratively to find the best technological approach and the best creative approach to suit your needs so when i joined the guys in march this year they were working with asics so asics had just developed their meta racer shoe range they would be working working on these shoes for like three years in development and obviously where the olympics was supposed to be hosted in tokyo this year they wanted to make sure that every single racer, or at least every Japanese racer on that athletics track was wearing an, a Japanese-branded shoe, right? I mean, like, what a big moment, what a big cultural moment. So when the pandemic hit and everything got locked down, their huge launch event where they'd invited, you know, they'd invited, like, press and media from, like, 20 countries all around the world, it couldn't happen. So they, um, they through their agency, uh, Solidify Studio was commissioned to, come up with a solution for this using technology. And the guy developed a virtual reality product launch um, called the ASICS Innovation Lab. So they basically built... Um, a mirror of the scientific space that um, ASICs have in Kobe. So ASICs have um, their own innovation lab where they develop all their new products. So Solar Studio built a digital version of that in virtual reality where you could step into and see these 3D models of the shoes. You could touch them, you could bring them towards you, you could look all around them. You could also learn what they feel like by using physical interactions so you had to move your arms to run you had to jump down you had to, uh, you had to crouch down or jump up to trigger these different visualizations that showed off the features of the shoe so i mean it was such an exciting time to join the team because obviously they're kind of sprinting away i mean i think they were all they're all pulling like 24 hour shifts sprinting away to deliver this product launch on time in the midst of a pandemic uh, sourcing Oculus Quest headsets from all around the world, distributing them. I mean, it was kind of bonkers, but really kind of exhilarating to be to be part of that towards the end. I think that's sort of like one of the, I guess, like. Biggest or splashiest projects we've worked on this year. We've also been working on like a ton of just really interesting projects. So um, w- uh, I know this is one that we've worked on together, so I can talk about I can talk about Cardiff. So we've been working with Cardiff University and specifically their cybersecurity course. We have been building a cybersecurity simulation system called CyberAR, um, which is an augmented reality simulation um, of uh, cyber attacks. It's built for the Hololens too, and as the user, if I'm wearing a Hololens, um, me and my team wearing a Hololenses, we can look down at a table and we see holograms of Cardiff City. Now, the the different buildings that are under under the protection of the um, cyber security firm are highlighted in different colours depending on whether they're safe or not. So, and what's really cool is the system basically kind of like. It uses, um, it uses this kind of like clever AI that the guys at Cardiff University built to basically to kind of emulate um, a cybersecurity attack. And you as the user have to click different panels, and you have to make various different decisions to try and stop the hack from happening. And there are loads of kind of different outcomes. So, you know, if I make one decision here, then, well, maybe like I will just accidentally give away like a bunch of data that the hackers have been mining for. Or if I make another wrong decision there, then my entire student population will be up in arms and really annoyed with me. So, yeah, that was a a really fun um, project to work on. We also developed like a nice little character for it called Simeon who um, I call our kind of clippy character. And there's a sort of a, a nice level of like gamification to help the students engage with it. You know, it really is like a fun experience, but also educational as well. Um, I'm a great believer in adding in, you know, a gamification aspect to these experiences because I really do think that it ups the level of engagement. If you are sort of told to participate, or not told to participate, if you were encouraged to participate in a narrative, you quickly get what you're supposed to be doing you get you get oh this is a scenario this is what i'm doing i am the cyber security officer then you're not really focused on like what am i doing what am i supposed to be pressing what's going on here you understand it and you can instantly learn you know you don't have to you know that, that kind of onboarding process of just like i understand what i'm doing and now i can take in all the other information that's been given to me subtly it, you know really kind of enriches that learning experience
1: And I feel like we've come almost a full circle here, talking about various formats and um, talking about sonic branding and sort of intelligent sound design and how important those components are when it comes to building an experience, um, whatever the nature of the experience is. Now that you kind of moved on to the world of mixed reality more than anything, how do you believe those components remain important when it comes to delivering that type of content and enhancing the functionality, the engagement, but also make it more fun and more entertaining for the user at the same time.
0: Well, I think we mentioned before, like, you know, in a digital landscape, nothing ma- makes a noise naturally. So you have to build in those noises to give the user that audible feedback that what they're doing is either correct or incorrect. You know, it's a very, very simple thing of like, if you're doing an online quiz, you get you get it wrong and it goes ping, or if you get it wrong and it goes eh you're like, okay, my brain understands that this is good or this is bad. And it's the same thing for UI. Like, you know, the sound has to be just as much of a guide as the visual buttons are and the visual panel- panels are. Otherwise, you're only giving your user half the information and they just become confused. Like, the best UI is sort of very subtly very obvious and very simplistic. And good user interfaces always always deploy really good audio because you do you need that audible feedback. Um, otherwise you feel like you're just especially in mixed reality where you are just putting your finger out to a panel in the air. If you don't have an audible feedback, you have no idea if it's working or not. And you know, or you're like, oh that changed. Okay, did I do that right? Whereas if you hold your finger up to the air and the moment that your finger touches the hologram at the right moment, you get an audible ping that goes your your brain automatically thinks yeah okay i get it you know it's the same for augmented reality like if you have 3d audio built into an augmented reality experience and you can go up to something you know like i know the um uh, magic leap have positional audio which is i mean it's it's and it's pretty like it's pretty good um you can have audio in in one part of the room attached to one particular object and as you move further away it becomes quieter or as you move closer towards it it just adds that layer of realism it's so important um we actually so one of the things that we did at Solarflare because we're all working from home is we built our office um on an in, in vr and online so we have a virtual like mirror of our office space which of course we've added some like really fun stuff in like you know, there's a whole space where there's a whole room where you can just like fly around in space with a giant satellite and float around and we've just taken out all the physics. So not all the physics. Or
1: a giant whale just (laughs) swimming by casually like Yeah, right. I mean, like, that's the
0: whole point. Like, like, if you're going to build your office in virtual reality or on a virtual platform, like, why are you going to make it completely realistic? Well, actually, you make it completely realistic because, again, it helps with the onboarding. But you can do some super cool creative things with it, you know, like, why would you make something that's a direct replica of like a space that already Exists like you know have fun with it like remove the gravity I don't know like enjoy it but you know audio is such an important component of that Um, and if you don't have that positional audio it you know quite quickly it becomes a very static experience so one thing we have in our virtual office is we have uh, an office stereo you can switch it on you can switch it off and if I'm on one side of the office I don't hear it if I'm close to the radio I can hear it and it's it's just cool it just makes you feel more immersed in the space because you've got that sense of positionality you know where you are you've got that feeling of orientation it's more naturalistic so therefore you know at, like on, a, on again on that kind of like subconscious level my brain's like oh I, I get it like this is a 3d space and this is how you know this this is my positionality it, it makes sense I feel comfortable I therefore I'm not kind of subconsciously worried of like oh something doesn't feel quite right because that's the itch right like if the sound and the music or the sound in the audio or there's something off with sound and audio like there's that subconscious itch and where they're like something's not quite right you know like oh I don't like it it's like you know if you watch like a horror film on mute you're like oh it's kind of not that scary or even if you just listen to like a horror soundtrack you're like oh yeah it's kind of scary you know um like yeah you you need the two things to be synchronous because it makes you feel like oh this is fine and I think especially in digital and virtual worlds like sound is such an important component because it, it is what makes it feel more naturalistic. I mean I cannot tell you how frustrating it is to make a 360 video with stereo audio. like where you move your head and like you the whole scene, all of your eyes and everything moves with you, but you're like just hearing the same thing out of your left ear and your right ear. it just it completely breaks that feeling of immersion and you're just like, why
1: <laughs> yeah
0: there's one project of Soda Flare that I would like to just mention which I haven't actually mentioned, which is actually my favourite project. Um, So at Soliflo, we have um, a labs initiative. Um, And I actually like to call them, instead of like a labs team, I like to call them our innovation authors because they really are sort of writing the future of how the technology is used in a sort of like a consumer way. Um, And one of the things we've been working on is an app called Mindscape. So this was sort of born out of, again, lockdown, this feeling that everybody's mental health took a bit of a a bit of a kicking in lockdown Um, and it was actually like national it was international mental health week and we ran an internal session where we were like hey like how can we use technology to like hack our health like we've got all these wellness apps all these wellness apps exist but how can we take it one step further so we came up with the idea to build an app that tracks your biorhythmic data and creates a visualisation of your mental state. So it tracks your heart rate and it tracks your movement data. Um, So it can tell if you have like an anxious heart rate, it can tell if you're feeling restless. And it creates a visualisation from that data based on mycelial patterns. So uh, the same patterns that mushrooms use to grow. So you end up with this gorgeous thing, which we're calling a mind sculpture, that kind of has these sort of fronds that are either kind of smoother if you're feeling nice and chilled or a little bit more jaggedy, if you're feeling more anxious. Um, and we've been testing it internally and using it. And it's actually really quite nice. It's a really nice way to express yourself in a nonverbal way. It's a very nice way to say, I'm, I'm not feeling great. I am feeling agitated. I do feel anxious. Um, although at the moment, because I've got this dog, it's just like I'm getting all these waves of serotonin. I'm so chilled right now. <laughs> So yeah, it's good. So that's been a, a really exciting project that we've actually just released last week uh, to the big bad world after some quite rigorous testing. The app itself isn't available widely yet, um, but it's been it's been a really great thing to work on and something I'd love to see implemented um, f- for future uses.
1: You're one of those rare people who actually come from London. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, you grew up in Wimbledon, yeah. South London. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm curious whether that had like this sort of unique influence on your upbringing and sort of cultural development, because obviously um, everybody knows um, London has a very strong music scene. The music industry is here has very strong theatre industry presence, and obviously you were interested in both of those areas um, uh, in the early stages of your career. So I'm just wondering if you could share any kind of observations in terms of how it has impacted your cultural and creative development as a person.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like growing up in London was a massive advantage to me. And when I was at uni, I actually spent my first summer after first year interning at a small audio company. I think they're they're called Radium Audio. I don't know if they still exist anymore, Um, but... That was my first experience of the professional audio world. And I, I so I, li- I lived in Wimbledon with my parents, obviously. I was only like 21. Um, but their studio was in Hackney Wick. So I used to commute. I used to get up in the morning. I mean, bear in mind, I'm like 21. This is like full-on commitment, right? I used to get up in the morning at like 7am and travel like an hour and a half across London to get to this tiny studio in Hackney Wick every day to like go and make tea for these people that um, that were like making audio for brands. I mean, these guys did the, it was quite cool. They did like the sonic branding for Bentley um, and things like that. They were like a little boutique audio studio. Um, but one of the things they were working on there was they were using the Kima system. Are you, are you familiar with Kima? Yeah, yeah. So I actually got my hands on the system. So half the reason um, they agreed to take me on as an intern was because I just, you know, I was doing this degree and I was like, I really want to use coding for for audio. (laughs) Can I come and do some coding for you? And they were like, yes, please. We've bought the system. Please do anything with it. Um, and the chemo system is super cool. Like it does this thing called an audio audiomorph, um, which I'm sure you're aware is like, the you know, how they created Wally's voice and things like that, you know, taking two different sound sources and finding like the kind of bridge between the two of them. But I was able to like get my hands on that and like play around with stuff and, you know, make this kind of like library of sounds. And I actually did the sound design for this tiny, like um, it was like a mobile game that one of their clients had developed. And I mean, I don't even think you can get the mobile game anymore. It was called Blocky. Um, oh, sorry, you might be able to hear my cat in the background crunching away. <laughs> he's a, uh, he's come for a crunch. <laughs> yeah, that's Sean claude Van Dam crunching away, <laughs> just in time for the podcast recording. Um, so yeah, no, having like growing up in London, you know, I was able to take an unpaid internship and get that valuable experience, which ultimately got me my first job in London, you know, and I got when I got my first job in London I was still living at home I was I was on you know just above minimum wage and like barely able to like move out of my parents house so you know I do think it's a massive advantage plus I mean London is just a huge cultural hub I mean you can see everything here like I love the museums I love like the public art installations you know like there's something gorgeously cultural incredible to interact with uh, everywhere you turn in London you just kind of have to be open and receptive to see it um, so yeah I definitely think that coming from London has sort of shaped who I am as a person and you know how I see and interact with the world.
1: Helen as we wrap up I just want to ask you my last question. What piece of advice do you have for anybody who is looking to break into the industry?
0: So if you want to break into the immersive industry the thing the piece of advice I have is reach out to people. The immersive industry is quite small right now. Um, There are the bigger companies, there are slightly smaller companies, but generally it's still quite community-based, it's growing, um, and people are just really interested in what everybody else is working on. People are willing at this stage in time right now still to share knowledge. So I know I mentioned Peter Collis before, but he and I actually set up a a group called the Hedonists. Um, We sort of started out as like just a couple of us. Um, You know, we we formed this kind of like supper club of like people working in VR. And the idea was that we were just gonna get together and talk about how to make VR and how to make it better and how to make 360 and how to make things more amazing. And like, what what tools are you using? What tools am I using? And it really was like, you know, a bunch of like different people like sharing skills and sharing knowledge. And, you know, even though the group that we have has grown to this kind of like bit of a behemoth of quite a few people, you know, that that ethos still remains. So if you're looking to break into the immersive industry, connect with people, reach out to people, you know, reach out to people on LinkedIn. You can join our WhatsApp group. You're very welcome. (laughs) There's a lot of people on there who are trying to break into the industry and, you know, trying to find people that they can learn from. Um, there's no specific degree. I think it sort of depends on what you're into. I mean, if you want to be a developer, obviously learning gaming engines like Unity, Unreal, you know, if you want to get to mobile development, like React Native, Python, Java, like you can learn those things in school. Um, but in terms of being creative with the technology, just get yourself a VR headset and like play it until your eyes hurt, you know, immerse yourself in that world, you know, play with Instagram filters. Get to know how this technology works and then make yourself think about how you can apply the things that you love to that technology and how you can do it differently and how you can break it. Like, try and break the technology. Like, like, how can you hack it? Like, that's the, that's the best way to do it.
1: Helen, thank you so much for being on podcast and talking to me. It's been an absolute pleasure.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me, Oliver. Before you go, we want to hear from you. If you'd like to let us know what you think about our show, Please take the quick survey in this episode's description. It'll help us make the Immersive Audio
1: Podcast even better. We really appreciate your feedback. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast. This episode was produced by Oliver Cadell and Michelle Chan, and included music by Anobs Bergamo. If you can, head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out in pushing our show further.
0: The podcast is also available on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Visit 1618digital.com to access the show notes and other episodes. Follow us at 1618digital on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening.